Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men podcast. I'm your host, Simon Rennie, and today we're getting mindful about stress and burnout, and hopefully finish off with some great tips on how you can manage these. I'm really excited. I've got April Likens today from Virginia, USA. How are you going, April? Hi, how's it going? So good to see you. It is, it is nice to see you and thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I'm really excited about talking about burnout because for all the listeners out there who've been following my journey, burnout was something that, that rocked my world back in 2020. Um, and I think burnout is such a prevalent thing that we've got happening in, in our community today and particularly since COVID's come on board. So I'm always interested to hear different stories about burnout because we all experience mental illness or, or life differently. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear about your experience of burnout and what you do in the burnout space. Uh, but before we get there, you're also a, a board certified health coach and you specialize in stress management. Can you tell us a bit about what that kind of role is and who you support? Yeah, so I really help busy professionals, predominantly women. I do work with a few men, just help them on finding balance, reduce, finding the hidden stressors. Often there's hidden stressors in our lives that we're not even aware of, you know, and, and help them get better sleep and really find balance so that they can either recover from burnout or prevent burnout and really just feel their best inside and out and walk in their passions and their purposes. And so this, like you, you know, this is a topic I'm really passionate about because as a former, you know, workaholic and people pleaser, I really understand like how challenging it is to manage stress and how if it's left unchecked it can be so damaging to your mental health physical health your career your relationships I mean it can just snowball into a lot of different areas and were you interested in burnout and stress management before your experience of burnout or was this something that happened after the fact I really wasn't no I've been into the health and wellness space probably I would say 15 plus years so it started back when my dad was first diagnosed with a really aggressive prostate cancer. He was young. He was 49. And at the time they gave him like a 50-50 shot of survival. And we were really close. So he was like the kind of dad that was a coach and a mentor and a guide and all the things. And so of course, naturally I was devastated, you know, to hear the news. And I just, I'm kind of a researcher sometimes. And so I really just looked into like, what the heck is going on that we're having this, you know, exponential rise in disease and cancer and all this stuff too, and how stress plays a role in epigenetics and our environment and all of that. So we um, kind of dove into it together and really revamped our diets and lifestyle. And I really, looking back, it was so cool because I, I feel like him making those healthy changes gave him some extra years and gave us some extra time together. And that was, that was really amazing. And so burnout didn't hit for me until after he ended up passing away. And, you know, so it's, I think sometimes when, if I'm honest, you know, when we're going through 
hard things and emotions that we don't want to feel, it's really easy to turn to things, you know, to, to cope. And that can be workaholism. It can be food. It can be alcohol. It can be binge watching Netflix, you know, shopping, addictions, any number of things too. And so though I had made those healthy changes with him after he passed away, I kind of reverted back into my old habit of workaholism just to not have to deal with the grief, you know, and the emotions and the things that I was feeling. So I was um, just burning the candle at both ends for a couple of years. So working really late, like one, two o'clock in the morning, um, not eating consistently, not working out consistently, just kind of all over the place. Um, and it caught up to me. So after a couple of years of, of really doing that, my health completely collapsed. And and when I say collapse, I mean, I, we went to the Caribbean during a huge mosquito outbreak and I came back and I couldn't get up. Mm-hmm. And that went on for about a year and a half. And so dozens and dozens of doctors trying to figure out what the heck was going on with me. And it was, it was a really dark time too, but, you know, and, and not being believed, you know, and not having experts, you know, anywhere from cardiologists to cancer doctors. I mean, the whole gamut trying to figure out what was wrong with me and they couldn't figure it out. Um, but it was a dark, it was a dark time in that. So it was eventually I got hooked up with a health coach and kind of by accident and she had been through a health collapse. And so she understood what kind of sort of what I was going through and she was just a hundred percent for me. And so that was life-changing for me. And that kind of planted the seed years later that I ended up deciding to be a health coach. Looking back, I really feel like you know, that stress and not taking care of myself for those couple of years as I was, you know, just walking through that grief really tore up my immune system and kind of set me up for this whole cascade of, of chronic stress. But I think, you know, with burnout, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it too, but I think there's this misconception that burnout just like hits you, you know, out of mm. left field and, you know, and it's like, wow, where did that come from? When the reality is there's a series of a lot of things stacking up over time that eventually it's just, you know, you get to a point where you've just had enough. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting comment because like before I experienced burnout, you hear it in the workplace and a lot of people think of it just as a workplace stress. And, mm-hmm. and you hear someone say, oh, I feel burnt out or whatever. And you kind of unless you've experienced it, you go, you just disregard it. And that's what I used to do. I used to go, oh yeah, you just don't want to do your work today. You're not feeling like being at work. But then as you say, it's a slow, it's almost like a slow burn of a candle mm-hmm. at both ends. And it happens for a long period of time. And, and unless you, you deal with that stress or you, you have the release and you get the help that you need or you identify early, for me, it ended up in complete hitting a brick wall and I couldn't function. I couldn't think straight. My head was in a cloud. I was tired, I was grumpy, I had lost faith in the work that I was doing and, and the joy in life, really. Um, and it wasn't until going to the doctor, and I'm glad you found out that person who, who kind of got what you were going through, because I went to the, my GP and, and I was saying what was, was happening to me. And he said, this is burnout, because I've been through that. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And then I was able to get that kind of help. And and it's interesting because recently, and that happened in 2020 for me. And then recently, my doctor's now been on on some long-term leave. And so I went to see a different doctor. And I was talking about burnout again, because I've been feeling burnt out earlier this year. And he he disregarded it like I would have disregarded it previously. Like, oh, like, are you just feeling a bit stressed at work or whatever? I'm like, no, I feel burnt out and I've been through it. I know what it feels like. I know what it is. 
And mm-hmm. he said, well, it's not really a medical thing, burnout. And I'm like, really? Like what the other GP told me it was, and I got some great help, but, but your view is so different. And, and, and it sounds similar, like going through the hoops with different specialists or doctors trying to figure out what's going on and no one can quite pinpoint it, but it's not until you find someone who's experienced it or knows about it that you can actually get some, some answers. Yeah. Yeah. So I had other things going on too. So I had Lyme disease. I, I was, um, I had a mosquito illness from the Caribbean trip and all that stuff too, but a lot of my symptoms to so the burnout kind of hit before that for me. Mm. And then the, the physical symptoms were just crazy. Similar to yours, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I could, had insomnia. I couldn't think straight. I actually couldn't finish my sentences. I couldn't understand what you were saying to me laying in bed, twitching at night, chronic pain all over. My hormones went out the wazoo. So I had severe cycles um, and it was just, everything went haywire kind of all at once. But to your point, and I, you know, I love that you mentioned that because I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not always easy to put ourselves in other people's shoes until we've been through something mm. similar. And it just gives you a completely different perspective on that. And you're able to, you know, just have empathy for the things that other people are going through burnout is huge right now too and i'm such a firm believer although i mean this is a whole nightmare for me to deal with my you know losing my dad and then this whole years because it took years for me to pick up the pieces of my health you know i feel like there's always a silver lining for everything that we go through and there's purpose in the pain and that often those you know those hardships can be fertile ground for growth for us but not only that if we're willing to kind of lean into them they can be a huge um, source of hope and encouragement for others. Yeah. Now we'll talk a lot about burnout today and I'm really excited about the chat, but I want to get a bit more about who you are as a person and where you grew up and have you traveled around the world? What's the, some of the cool things that you've done and maybe a bit about your dad, because your story is grounded in your relationship with your dad. Gosh, that's a blank canvas of like what to tell you. Um, so I grew up in Virginia. I was actually born in North Carolina. We grew up in Virginia um, in near D.C. for half of the time. And then here, right in the center of the state, which is actually in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's really beautiful here. The mountains are all around us and they look like they sound. So they are um, they are blue and the sunsets are really incredible here. So it's um, it's kind of a smaller area, but it was a culture shock for me as a kid moving here from DC when, when I was 10, uh, I was like, where the heck are we? So that was, um, that was different. But my dad, um, we, I would say similar in some ways and that my personality is very much like him. I look like him as uh, more so than the other kids. I have his skin tone, his eyes, all that stuff too. But uh, the man was brilliant. There was nothing he couldn't do. So he moved here to start an engineering company, and then um, went on to just teach himself how to write software, saw a need there, sold software around the world, did some really incredible things. And I did not get that engineering, like science mind at all. (laughs) He was a very generous person too. So he was very giving. Um, And I'll never forget us taking a trip back to DC. I think it was either in high school or in college. And we, you know, DC is crazy at times. And there was a homeless man that came up to us and said he was hungry. And I mean, without hesitation, I mean, my dad didn't even hesitate and he went right into Starbucks and um, he tried to bring him in there with us. And they, of course, said, no, you can't come in. And I remember thinking like, why is with us? You know, he should be able to come in. You know, why does it matter? Um, but they, they wouldn't let him in there. So we bought him food. And I kind of, in my mind, expected him to to buy him food and then hand it to him and we'd be off on our way. But 
he gave him his food and we sat down and we had lunch with him. And that just kind of marked me. So that was, he was very humble and very giving and he did quiet, quiet things like that often. That, that sort of kind of marked me growing up. But I was, I was a daredevil kid. I played sports year round. So um, lots of, lots of different sports, basketball, volleyball, um, ran track and um, played softball. I probably would have played football here um, if they would have let me, but wasn't. <laughs> girls couldn't play that here, but I liked, I liked the high contact sports. So mm-hmm. lots of injuries, concussions, all kinds of crazy stuff. So I have traveled the world. My husband's a doctor here. Um, we've been all over the Caribbean, all over the States. We've been um, to the coast of Italy and Rome. And I'm trying to think where else, Paris, lots of fun places, Greece, Greece is hard, everything wow. I feel like, no offense to you guys or anyone for that matter, but it's like the sunsets in Santorini, I feel like once you've been there, everything's kind of downhill from there. I mean, it is just a magical place. So I think Santorini is probably my favorite. What else? Um, I, I'm terrified of heights, terrified of spiders. I don't like public speaking. So this has <laughs> been a for me, which is fun. And I've been skydiving. So um, though I don't like heights, I've been skydiving. And that was that was just a bucket list thing that I was like, you know what? I've got to check that off. And I was totally good until, you know, like have you have you ever been skydiving or know anybody that no, has? I am I am absolutely terrified of heights too. And my son laughs at me every time I'm on a ladder and he's five. So I'm getting it from a five-year-old. But I've often thought about what is it like for someone who is so petrified of heights to skydive. Yeah, it's weird because first of all, you're up so high that you don't really have a frame of reference for height at that point. But it was my idea to go. We took my brother for his birthday and then my husband went. And um, and it was, again, I was the one gung-ho about let's do this, this and that. And then I get in the plane and it's like a different story. So when you're, you have to go tandem and they often, when it's your time and you're waiting, they're, um, you know, that you're under the instructor. So you're kind of like strapped to them and they're over you, you know, over you and they're, they're hanging onto a bar and you're just kind of dangling out of the plane. And that was not cool. So I was game. I was all for it until that happened. And of course they can't hear you. It's so loud. He's like, are you ready? And of course my husband and brother are behind me. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't, I don't want to go. And he can't hear me. And so he's like, are you ready? And I'm like, no, no. And then he throws me out the plane, you know, but it was, it was, it was wild because again, I, I love like roller coasters, all the kinds of crazy stuff growing up. And, you know, if you've ever been on a roller coaster and you go over the hill, you start going down and then your stomach drops and you have that mm-hmm. feeling. It's really weird. It's like you jump out of the, or you're thrown out of a plane in my case, <laughs> you know, you, uh, your stomach just kind of is in your throat and stays in your throat the whole way. So it doesn't, you don't have that continual like sensation as you're falling and there's no way to look good while you're, you know, <laughs> you're, you're in the air. It's like your skin is stretched out to here and you kind of look like a flying rat, but it's so cool. It's really fun and, and, and amazing too, um, when you get to see the horizon and all this stuff and then when the shoot comes up. Yeah. Was that a recent experience or did you do that a few years ago or? No, it's, it's probably been mm, maybe eight years. Yeah. And would you go back and do it again? I would. Yeah. But I feel like I've checked that one off. Although I'll be in California in a couple of weeks and hang gliding off the cliffs in California is a big thing. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm a little tempted, but I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I should do that. I'm at least going to watch them, you know, jump off, you know, the, the cliffs, but whether or not I'll participate, we'll see. Cool. And what about work? Like what's your, your work career look like 
prior to, to you becoming a coach? Good question. So I was actually in design and project management for many years. So that's what I went to school for. I initially went to school for interior design. I'm really good at interior design. That's just a snapshot, but I love I I'm not if you look at more. <laughs> well, it's very basic. It looks like a man room. It's a so, man cave. It's the start of my um therapy room, actually. I've there's there my social workbooks and I nice. need to get a few more books behind me. But yeah, but yours it looks yeah. amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, I chickened out on the interior design thing freshman year and switched it to, to graphics and marketing. So I did that for many years. And then um, again, you know, life happened and and I just, I while I was good at that and really enjoyed that, I felt like I wasn't at the end of the day doing something that was really helping people. And so this is something that I feel more soulfully tied to, you know, really being able to make a difference in people's lives and then using my story too help others it's it so rewarding. it certainly helps when you've got a story to 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 use and and project out there and why do you think it's an important thing to tell the story well i think we all have challenges that we go through right and i think there's so 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 much of us spend i think a lot of our um adult years trying to hide our scars and and hide the hard places in our lives and we've all got them and i think when you can let go of trying to manage that and you can just be real and transparent. You know, it, it, you have that ability to really connect with others in a deeper, meaningful way and you have the ability to really make an impact. I think it's hard to make an impact without being transparent. Yeah. So people are going through things. And, um, and like, like we're talking about, I mean, burnout and stress and mental health, all of it is just skyrocketing. And so I think it's important to to share your story and to talk about it more. And I know it's it's even tougher for men to be able to talk about that. So I really applaud you for um, breaking those barriers and being willing to talk about it. Yeah, well, I guess Mindful Men was born out of my burnout story. Um, and that's the, I guess, me projecting it out to the world and trying to help educate people about what it is and not just burnout but depression anxiety OCD I live with all those three as well but also just talk about life as well life is, gets hard sometimes parenting I'm a, I'm a dad to two little ones and and you're a fur, fur baby mum and and um, yeah it's just talking about things is hard for a lot of guys usually we talk about sports you know what's happening at work and that's pretty much it um, so if we can talk about more different things and diverse things we can be mindful of who we are as blokes and, and people and, and maybe grow in areas that we, we've always wanted to grow in. So, um, so yeah, mine came out of my burnout story and I, f- I feel the, very similar. Like it's important to talk about things because if we bottle it up and I bottled my story up for 20 years, then we become volcanoes and things erupt and, and yeah. not a great outcome for anybody. So now we've talked a bit about burnout already and, and your story, but I thought we'd just retouch on it again. And I was hoping you could, from your experience, help me define burnout and how it might compare to stress or differ to stress or maybe be the same yeah. as stress. Well, it might be good to kind of talk about what chronic stress is, you know, and then kind of signs of burnout too. Because the thing was, I guess, with with burnout is there's no one size fits all, right? So you you experience some certain symptoms but then i've had clients that i've worked with that you know insomnia is their their big symptom and maybe it's stress eating you know so it's just it's all over the map for what you know how it presents itself with different people too but you know i think first you know it's kind of defining chronic stress which is you know it's essentially it's emotional unease and it varies based on our 
perception. So it, it's something that essentially disrupts our homeostasis or our comfort zone. And so stress can be good, stress can be bad. Like, so a good example would be, you know, you work out too hard, you know, maybe outside, you get a little uh, dehydrated and the body, you know, prompts you to, to drink water and to replenish your electrolytes. Like that would be a, a, a good example of a, a healthy stress response. I, a somewhat good based on, I guess, perception is I was playing pickleball. I don't know if you guys have that there. No, um, what is week, pickleball? <laughs> it's, uh, it's so fun. And um, yeah, people have been playing it like crazy here in the States. So it's kind of like tennis and ping pong had a baby. And so it's like, if you can think of tennis, it's a smaller court. So there's not as much running around. It's kind of like shrunk. And then you have a paddle that's totally different and a wiffle ball. Do you know what a wiffle ball is? No. Like it's, um, that's what we call them here, but they're plastic and they have holes in them. So it's not at all like a racquetball. It's not at all like a tennis ball. It's really weird. But again, you don't have all the running around and that sort of thing. So I, um, my husband, you know, nailed one at me and I, you know, went to get it and I totally pulled my calf muscle. I, it popped like it I don't even know what I did so I think I actually tore it it was pretty bad so I've been limping around since Saturday and um and so but that's an example of a, po a somewhat positive stress response so in that my, my leg was injured my body responded through bruising and through swelling to kind of take care of the area and that too and so I've been uh riding around on a scooter here and <laughs> hopping on one leg since Saturday but I've been racing the scooter and I've had a, I've been getting that thing as fast as I can go and take, you know, wheelies around the corner and stuff. So it's again, you know, a lot of stress is, is perception. So you, I could view it as like, this sucks. I'm hopping around on one leg and I'm riding around on a scooter or I can race around in my house and I can see how fast I can go. So, you know, that's the thing with stress is, you know, it just varies based on your perception too. But the thing about stress and what recent studies have really shown is that it's not stress the stressors in our lives that are so dangerous to our mental and physical health but it's our perception of them so it's what we think of the stressor and our response that you know that's crucial and then learning to respond in a way that doesn't completely damage our health or you know our peace our mental health all of that too so stress in itself is as you know it's a, it can be a good thing but it's, it's part of the survival mechanism that fight flight or freeze you know that's yeah. it's designed to just protect us from harm and and all of that too so but like we were talking about in the beginning it's one of those things that it can cause a chain reaction where and a domino effect in your life where one thing can kind of lead to another thing which can lead to another thing and um and lead to a health collapse or or, or burnout and that sort of thing too and so you know warning signs of burnout vary based on you know the person and so it can be feeling chronically exhausted and tired all the time fatigued, um, increased anxiety, depression, sleep issues is a big one. I see often with people that's that's a, a big sign too. So either you're wrestling with insomnia, you're having trouble falling asleep, having trouble staying asleep. Stomach issues is another big one too with stress that, you know, uh, IBS or just um, stomach aches can be, can be a warning sign to kind of look out for. Chronic pain, chronic headaches, that's another big one too yeah. with stress disrupts the gut microbiome, you know, and that can cause more inflammation. So often pain levels and things can rev up too. 
increased cravings like we were talking about earlier. And that one I see a lot with clients is this wired but tired feeling where you're, you know, you're exhausted and you need sleep like nobody's business, but you're also feel just amped up at the same time. And it's it's really kind of hard to function, you know, and, and relying on excess caffeine, alcohol, that sort of thing. And just like you were talking about some of your symptoms of just um, feeling like apathy, you know, and not, not, not having the joy and the peace and that fatigue. So it just depends that there's a lot of different warning signs for people to kind of look out for that maybe they're, they're headed in that direction. Yeah. So traditionally burnout's been something that's considered a workplace stressor. So when burnout happened for me, and there is an episode on burnout in, in the podcast, if any of the listeners want to go back and listen to that, highly recommend it. But in a nutshell, I was full-time worker, uh, nine to five job, high KPI environment. So it's like a production line of work coming through. I press on a computer as well. So I was sitting at a sitting all day. I'd started my master's of social work. So I was doing that part-time outside of work hours as well. And we just had a baby. And so we're going through new parenthood. Um, and then we had COVID as well in 2020. So uh, we, we went into lockdown. So we went into lockdown. So we couldn't leave the house. And we couldn't leave um, or our local area. We can go for a walk around the park, but that was it. But all the gym shut. You know, I was going to the gym and that had to shut. Um, and we were home all day, every day for I think five or six months um, yeah. initially. And so work was work was at home in this very room. And then I'd walk out the door and there's kids. Um, luckily, we weren't doing homeschooling because the kids weren't at school at that stage. But and then, yeah, it was just it was just everything on top of each other. And that went for years. And then, yeah, it got to that point where I just stopped functioning. And it was a call at work. So my managers were saying, Simon, your, your workloads are getting behind. What's going on? And I both just broke out crying I just couldn't do it anymore and part of my I guess OCD as well is I have a, a really high bar of perfectionism so everything I do has to be just right otherwise it creates anxiety for me so I and for 15 years I've been setting that bar so high in my career and I just couldn't I couldn't even jump to to reach up and touch that bar anymore I was just flat on the floor and, I, and that's when I just hit that wall and I had to take three and a half months off of work but I think from my story, it's, it's, it's not just a workplace stress. And I guess from your experience, like how, how are people burning candles at both ends? Maybe not just work, but maybe in life in more general. You know, it, it's all over the map. So um, some of it's just, again, it's trying to navigate the crazy, you know, last couple of years that we've been in where, you know, work is at home and then it's always there. And so this, you know, you have this constant temptation to, Check it if there's not healthy boundaries in place, you know, like your, your office is in a separate room, you know, and that sort of thing too. I mean, I've had clients that have their, literally their computers in their bedroom, you know, and their, their workstation is in their bedroom. And um, I talk about really causing sleep issues, you know, knowing that it's like feet away from you and it's right there. And so it's, it's so tempting in that, um, you know, but just over committing, I see, you see a lot of like the perfectionism, not the, the healthy boundaries, not being able to say no. I mean, just stuff with kids. It's hard too, because this, at least here, I'm not sure. I know you guys have had way more intense lockdowns than we have here, but um, you know, the schools uh, have just started 
again, but at the end of the school year and a little bit before that, it was just back and forth with childcare and schools. And so, you know, for a lot of the people that I was working with, I mean, they never knew when their, their kids could actually go to school or not go to school because it would change day to day. And, um, and I work with a lot of really high achieving professionals and they, you know, that was hard for them to just suddenly, okay, childcare is not available today. And I've got a presentation, a meeting with my boss and I've got all the things too. And so figuring out ways to kind of navigate that. Um, and it was cool to see some of the businesses here, some of the big companies like step up and provide nanny service and childcare service for a lot of people where um, in certain industries, you know, they had a, like a certain allotment of, mm-hmm. of days that they could use a month or a week. So when these kind of emergency things happened, they had kind of a nanny on call that they could at least call, you know, and have them in pretty quickly so that they could be able to do their job. It's been it's been all over all over the place, but I see often you know the perfectionism and the boundary piece with a lot of the clients that I work with, and you know, and that's something that I've struggled with too over the years. And I was curious to hear your thoughts too on on the perfectionism, kind of where you think that stems from. Because mine's grounded in OCD. So mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with OCD, so it's a it's obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and you have like a, an intrusive thought that becomes obsessive and you can't stop thinking about it and it can be quite distressing. So if, for example, one of the mine is, I'll give you the very first obsessive compulsive um, trait that I had was when I was eight, eight years old, I heard another student in the schoolyard who said, Simon, if you don't talk for a minute, you'll lose your voice forever. So as an eight-year-old, I thought, oh, I don't want that happening, you know. And so uh, that became my obsessive thought, the fear of losing my voice. So I would hum for the next year, all day, I would hum like if I hadn't been speaking for a minute, I would, I would do this small little hum. It's like, mm, mm, like kind of like that type of sound. But I'd try to do it so quietly that nobody would hear it. And it didn't quite click to me. And I've, I've been reflecting on this recently that it didn't quite click to me that when I was sleeping, I wasn't doing it. (laughs) Um, But this is the nature of OCD. It can be quite ridiculous when we think back on it and reflect on it. It can be quite ridiculous. Um, So, and that over the years has grown to checking behaviours because I'm fearful of safety, like the house burning down. So I'll check the ovens off and the doors are locked in case someone breaks in at night time. And and all these little things over the years have, have developed this, and they say it a lot in the OCD space, it's just right OCD. You need to have everything just right, otherwise the anxiety is there. And, and I think this developed the perfectionism in what I do, both socially, at home, as a parent, but also at work. So, for example, a work one, and because and my OCD evolves over time, and OCD can evolve over time. So, for example, writing an email, something very simple, writing a work email you know, to so-and-so, have your content, you know, and that's it. And then I'll put in the the twos and the CCs and the BCCs and all that type of stuff. But for most people, that would be a five or 10 minute job, a simple email. But I would read over it so many times, 10, 20 times before I press sent because I want to make it, it has to be perfect. Because if it's not perfect, then the person on the receiving end might go, well, Simon is just, it's lazy at his job. If it's not perfect, it might have spelling errors or whatever. Or maybe he's the tone of the email might sound like he's yelling at me. I know a lot of people think about that when they read emails and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, and this is a weird quirk for my OCD is 
when I click send that somehow magically the content of the email will change and mm -hmm. the, the, the addressees will change as well. So then I'll go back and check it again after I've sent the email. Um, so something as simple as setting up our um, chat today, that happened to me going through the emails and, and, and all that type of stuff. So this creates in me a, a high level of perfectionism, like it's, everything needs to be right. Otherwise I get this anxiety and I've got to check and check and check and check and check. And, and, and OCD, the nature of OCD is you're doing this for over an hour a day all these different types of compulsive acts and obsessions and stuff like that. So that's where mine comes from. And, and, and that's why it's, I think it's important to have conversations like this across the world because perfectionism for other people could come from something completely different. Um, yeah. Which mine does, yeah. yeah. As I, was listening, I, I don't relate to your story completely, but I do in the fear response. So you were saying the fear that it was gonna, the email was gonna change and that, or there, there's a mistake and what would people think of me in that, or, you know, if I've made a mistake. And to me, I have that tendency sometimes as well, more so in younger years, it's been, mm. been working on it the last five years or so, but it, I think it stems in a fear of man for me, you know, almost like a fear of, it's different than perfectionism. It's like a fear of failure or fear mm -hmm. of, perceived failure but I think that um and it can tie in it's interesting how perfectionism can tie into people pleasing they're two different things but they can kind of tie together and I see that in my life too but the I think that for me the root of the per perfectionism just goes all the way back to childhood where my dad and I had a really great relationship 18 on but he was so successful and so busy and very active in his church and all this stuff that he was never around and when he was around he was working so he was off limits so um, I spent the first 18 years not really having him around other than sports and so and homework you know usually the stuff that I need help with science and math which I was horrible at I'm so horrible at uh yeah terrible like algebra 2 trig and all of that stuff too um, I understood geometry because I'm a creative so visually you know you can make things with geometry and all this too but but as a child I I didn't get uh, a lot of love and attention unless I was performing. So if I got good grades or I excelled at sports, which I did for a lot of years until I finally rebelled, I figured out what was happening. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to, you know, be on the varsity team and do this and that, you know, if that's the only way I'm going to get you know, attention. So, but I see that often with clients too, that it can go all the way back to childhood where the only time they got praise or, you know, rewarded or any sort of encouragement was, if they did something, but if they, they didn't, you know, they, they were unseen mm. in that too. So I guess that's part of, part of my story. That. That, that, that actually prompted me thinking about my, my childhood as well. So I grew up with a house of four boys and, and we all played football. So Australian rules footy and we did athletics and, and I played basketball and a bit of soccer as well. So very sports oriented family and, and we were all very good at football, um, you know, and, but if we had a bad game or we weren't, if we were mucking around at training or whatever, dad would take notice and, yeah. and rip into us sometimes and, you know, tell us to pull our heads in. And, and yeah, maybe some of that perfection comes out, came out as in that kind of environment, growing up and learning where we stood as boys and, and what it meant to be a boy and, and to be a good footballer, all these types of pressures that we weren't really aware of until we became an, an adult and reflect back on our childhood but yeah that pressure to to be good at sports and not let my brother show me up but, but also be better than the other the other 
guys in the team as well. Yeah. It's yeah. something that I, I really reflected on. It wraps into your identity or it wraps mm. into mine too, that like I'm I'm only good if I'm doing X, Y, and Z sort of thing too. And you can carry that into adulthood, into perfection. Yeah. You know, if my boss thinks I'm doing a great job or I'm banging out my projects or whatever, you know, if I'm meeting this high bar for myself, then my identity is solid. But if if not, then, you know, then that can kind of wax and wane where I think it's dangerous at times to put our identity in, in things that are moving targets, especially. Yeah, yeah and, and it, it doesn't just have to be at work as well. It could be in parenting. So comparing ourselves to other parents or even our own parents as 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 we go or in our social circles, you know, keep, we always um, have a bit of a joke around what's happening in our neighborhood. So keeping up with the Joneses type stuff. And right. we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. That's, and that's really undue. Like, and, you know, we even just, even social media. So, you know, we're both on Instagram and, and you often see the good, the, the, the pristine Instagram, but then you, you see a lot of people that like what we're doing, just showing more of a real Instagram um, yeah. you know, feeds and so forth. So there's pressure just in every aspect of our lives as well to be perfect, to show that perfection as we're not show that we're hurting or, or anything like that. And, and I guess that's why it's important to have these kind of conversations because not everything is all glossy um, in life as we go. So um, I feel like there's freedom in letting go of that. And I didn't, yep. you know, sometimes I think in life, you know, when you're on the other side of something, you don't realize it until you're looking back you know, in that, and I think it takes, kind of to your point in the beginning, you know, if you're trying to manage something or hide something or stuff something, it's almost like a pressure cooker or a crock pot, you know, over time, you know, it's eventually kind of going to come out or you're just spending all this energy trying to keep the lid on it and keep it hidden and that sort of thing too. And I don't even know where, where I heard this comment years ago, but like sunlight's the best disinfection. You know, and, and it's true, you know, that you can, you know, there's a lot of work in trying to maintain your image, you know, and, and trying to be perfect, the perfect parent, the perfect employee, the perfect whatever, um, the perfect basketball, but I bet I could take you though, basketball, I still got, I still got it though, so. I, <laughs> I was shocked at basketball. <laughs> I thought, I, I thought I, I had range, but I didn't have any range at all. So. <laughs> now, football um, is a different story, but yeah. <laughs> but Coming back to your burnout story, at what point, like we're thinking about this, per, you know, trying to be perfect and, and trying to be high achievers or being high achievers, not necessarily trying, but at what point did you know that you were hitting that wall or you'd reached that your limit? Like what was that moment like for you? I think it was a lot of the symptoms we were talking about, you know, sleep was, I mean, I really struggled with insomnia for years and it was bad, like two hours a night and it would go on for like months. So um, you would have trouble functioning, you know, that'll really jack you up. It's really interesting. The studies that have come out here recently that, that it, your, your DNA changes after one night sleep i mean there's so many things that that are crucial for the body to sleep so there was that you know just kind of a loss of joy mm -hmm. and apathy you know was big kind of for me too you know the fatigue but i think and, and a loss of fun and i see that often with people too with burnout that if if they're close to burnout or they've hit burnout often there's a lack of fun and joy in their lives you know they're they, they're so busy with all these other things that they haven't you know, made time for rest and self-care and fun and creativity and all these other things. Because, you know, the, the reality is there's, unfortunately, there's stressors all around us. Like that's, that's just, 
the nature of, you know, the planet we live on, you know, they're going to keep coming at us. And again, it's the perception of them that are so dangerous. But what's really helpful is having resilience tools mm -hmm. that you can use to counter that. And so that's things like quality sleep, you know, that's movement, that's healthy boundaries, that's taking, taking breaks or actually taking a lunch. I talk to people all the time, but they just work right through lunch mm -hmm. and they skip it. And that's a big one. You know, it's listening to your body and it's asking yourself daily, you know, like, what do I need today to thrive? What do I need today? You know, and it might be, I need some vitamin D. We haven't been outside in a couple of days, you know, like let's go outside and for 20 minutes, you mm -hmm. know, or I want some movement. I'd like to, you know, hike on the treadmill or go outside or whatever, you know, it's just really asking yourself and checking in at least once or twice a day of like, how am I doing? What do I need? And then, then responding, you know, in grace to what you need. So in that self-care and that sort of thing, spending time in nature is huge. Mindfulness, social connection is massive, you know, and that's, I think, I think that's been one of the biggest casualties in all of this was the loss of human connection for all of us. And, and studies are now showing that connection is tied to our longevity, you know, in our immune system and so in our mental health and so many different aspects, you know, that we didn't realize because we're wired, you know, to be in community or we're hunters and gatherers that are wired for, um, for, um, you know, just partnership with other people and to be able to see people. And this is great being able to talk on, on Zoom type meetings. And that's wonderful than just text messaging and not talking mm. to anybody. But there's a different power in sitting next to somebody face to face and having a coffee, you know, and catching up with them about their day or life. Yeah. And so it's, it's making sure you've got those resilience tools that you can kind of pour back into your cup that can counter, you know, the, the stress and the burnout. But the reality is, you know, there's some things that you'll never be able to counter. So there's no mm -hmm. amount of self-care if there's a horribly toxic, you know, boss that you're working for, or you're in a really toxic relationship, no amount of taking bubble baths, you know, and, <laughs> and doing face masks are going to counter that, you know, it's, it's not enough of a resilience tool. You need, you need more, more tools. And, you know, like we were talking about, you know, how stress can stack up into burnout. The cool thing is the opposite is ha can happen. Your resilience tools can stack mm -hmm. up too and counter it. I'm glad you, you, you raised that point around toxicity in your life. And, and so I had my first burnout 2020. And then I felt like when I was talking to my counselor at the time, I said, what happens if it happens again? Because I, I was scared that it was going to happen again. I didn't want to take another four months off of work. And she, and she said to me, oh, Simon, like, you'll just recognize it from a mile away. So you'll be able to put in your self-care, um, mm -hmm. you know, tools in your resilience building tools in place earlier, which I did. But then I found this year, for example, I'd finished my master's of social work last year. I wanted to have my own business. I also wanted to do it gradually. So step away from my old job and do it safely. But it got to a point where I just needed to break away from that workplace because it was causing me too much distress I loved the job it was a great job and the people were great as well but just the the nature of the role was just causing me it felt like to burn out again and I had to step away completely and now I feel really free I feel a lot better just just by making that decision and leaving that job and starting my own therapy business now um, but it's, it's great that you point to, you know, sometimes it's not you, it's the environment that you're in, the relationship, mm -hmm. the workplace. It could be the social circles. 
it could be your family as well. Sometimes we have toxic family members that we keep getting yeah. stuck in that cycle. Um, and sometimes it's just a breakaway moment that you need to, to get better. Um, I'm curious too with the, if you would have gotten there as fast or even had that that insight because you had already hit burnout and then you started to realize like oh this this work environment isn't serving me and so then yeah. you were able to to you know change directions which is really cool and that yeah. so I think we uh, we're always a beautiful work in progress and you know we we're always learning lessons that we can take into you know the next experience and the next experience. Yes. When you, when you hit burnout and we talked a lot about self-care just then, which is, mm -hmm. is a great lead into, you know, to some advice around what people can do in their day-to-day -day life to, to try and manage stress and so forth. But did you need help to identify the things that you needed to do? So for example, for me, a counselor or a mental health social worker, I went and did some counseling with one of them and creativity was one. I, I longed for creativity when I was in high school. I used to like drawing and, and creating, but I never really did that when I became an adult. So what I did in, on my computer is we got um, GarageBand, which is a, a Mac-based app where you can create loops of music. And I would do that as a two-hour exercise almost every other day where I'm creating something that's soothing and my mind can just focus on one thing as opposed to 500 things at once. So that was one of my self-care activities that I started, I needed help to identify and, and create that joy, but also tune into creativity again. And, and for me, then it was also going for walks and being mindful on my walks and mindful-based practice. Did you have someone that helped you identify some of these things for you and your self-care? Yeah. So the health coach that I worked with, I had oh, at the time, I went through a lot of different integrative doctors too, trying to diagnose what was going on with me. So many of them were helpful. Took a while to find one that stuck. The rest of them really couldn't help me, all the, all the other specialists and that sort of thing. So the, the integrative doctors were helpful in that and the health coach, mm -hmm. especially because she had been through that. So she knew what to look for in all of that. And so it's interesting. Yeah. Created creativity was something that was missing in my life too and something I learned through the, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition too because I was an artist growing up so I was an athlete an artist and um and I just stopped making art and so I feel like when you've you've done something for a lot of your life and then you don't carry that into you know adulthood it's almost like a piece of your DNA is missing mm. and so for me it felt like gosh fine I've been creative my whole life and then I just stopped you know doing it outside of work you know and design and that sort of thing I had to do it of course you know for the job but I wasn't just creating art just for the sake of joy and for myself mm. sort of thing too so I got back into some of that stuff uh, my mom's actually a really amazing artist so I've done some art stuff with her and and different things but just um, getting back into what is fun you know and, and and again I think we lose that as adults you know and I talk to clients about that often and I'll ask them you know what do you do for fun and they just look at me and they're like I work out and I go outside and yeah. you know like they can't answer yeah. but if you ask a child hey, what do you do for fun? Like, they'll just start, I mean, they don't even hesitate. They're like, I play with my trucks and I like to go outside. And then like, I do this and I play sports, I play baseball. And, you know, they just rattle off all these things, you know? And, and as adults, you know, I challenge you to ask people that question because they often cannot answer you. And I think that's a big missing piece for a lot of us, you know, and it's a really important one in preventing burnout. I talk about it often that, 
you know, rest is the antidote to burnout, that there's power in pausing and that, you know, in that pausing, that means being still, mm-hmm. you know, and resting, which is really hard for busy people and doers and type A personalities. And I'm all of the above <laughs> in that, you know, but there's, you know, there's really, and, and then fun and making time for fun and joy and giving yourself the permission to have fun. That's something, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people in that too, that it's almost like they're, they're so wrapped up in being busy and achieving things and doing stuff that, you know, fun and rest seems like a waste of time and really shifting your mindset to like, no, that's a part of self-care, you know, that we can't pour and pour and pour and pour out from an empty cup and thrive. You know, that's why if you're on a plane, you know, they tell you, put on your mat oxygen mask first you know, before helping others, because, you know, if, if you don't, you're not going to help anybody, you know, it's, it's a recipe for burnout. So I think it's getting back into in touch with what were those things that you enjoyed as a kid? You know, what are those hobbies, you know, and get back to, into those, however weird, if it's building boats or, you know, model cars or playing sports again, or whatever it is, doing art, you know, tapping back into that part of you that, that really had immense joy is really it's it's again it's one of those big resilience tools that can help in a giant way yeah and and what's some of the daily routines that you put in place for you to to i guess to work through your burnout but also maintain balance afterwards yeah so rest you know making time for rest and fun and play we we talked about that um mornings are really important for me you know being mindful in the morning you know we've all had the mornings where you like wake up late and you you know it's crazy you hit you'd hit the ground running and you're just trying not to get out the door and then the rest of the day is like a crash show you know it's it's ridiculous and so you know if you can just pause a little bit in the morning you know it's there's a huge difference in being reactive and being proactive and being strategic with that and so I have friends you know, bless them, that is not me, that get up at like four o'clock in the morning and they they like to read for an hour and they'll listen to a podcast and then they'll strategize their schedule and do all this stuff before their kids get up. And that's great, you know, that works for them. But But even if you could just have like 20 minutes, you know, in the morning to drink your coffee or whatever you drink in the morning, you know, maybe it's read something inspiring or listen to, you know, the Mindful Men podcast or get in a little movement, do a meditation, you know, just something where you're being intentional to just create space for you and to pour back into your cup as opposed to you know, immediately waking up and checking your email and reading the news and all that stuff too. And I mean, it's hard to have a good day when you start off first thing in bed and you're like scrolling the news, you know, it's, yeah. it's all doom and gloom, right? So I think it's creating like a healthy buffer around your mornings where kind of a sacred space, even if it's 10 minutes of nobody can bother me for 10 minutes and I will, you know, just recharge my batteries, that sort of thing too. Um, sleep, we talked about that. Sleep, I Sleep is a superpower to everything. I mean, your mental health, your physical health, the body is doing so many incredible things in the middle of the night. You know, it's categorizing memories, it's wiping proteins that are linked to cognitive diseases and decline. It's boosting the immune system. I mean, I could go on and on and geek out on you on all that stuff. And so <laughs> it's it's um it's really important to make sleep a priority and there's different seasons in life so it's doing the best you can with the season you're in but really aiming for getting that seven to nine hours 
of sleep a night and, you know, in that sweet spot, because their studies are showing that six hours or less is when the negative things, the epigenetics, the genes that you don't want are switching on. It's changing your blood pressure. It's changing your blood sugar. I mean, all these things too. And so figuring out what your sweet spot is, you know, what number do you feel your best? And so for me, I think it's a lot of times it's like eight and a half hours, you know, that I need, I need a lot of sleep. And sometimes you need more sleep than others, you know, where it's been a tough week or you've had a, whatever, you're starting to feel run down and it's okay, you know, to give yourself nine, 10 hours of sleep. If that's what you you feel like you need Um, as a nerdy tangent, I was, I I was researching this for a different um, podcast that I was on recently and sleep and I was looking up LeBron James and do you know who he is I mean everybody knows LeBron James he sleeps like 12 hours a night and he and then he takes takes naps on top of that so people joke that you know if he's not playing basketball he's sleeping because he's you know he's he makes it a priority but my point is you're starting to see people really kind of grasp the importance of sleep where you're seeing CEOs talking about it you're seeing athletes talk about it because it really is it's so crucial you want to thrive inside and out it's hard to do that without without quality sleep it's like we were talking about I think in the beginning too is shifting your focus you know and in, in, in how you're viewing the stressor you know we've all had common things happen to us like traffic right you're headed somewhere important and then there's a detour or there's a wreck or there's whatever and it's a standstill you could freak out, you know, and sit in your car and bang on the dashboard and yell and do whatever and have a meltdown, or you can recognize the stressor. Okay. It is what it is. I'll do some deep breathing. Maybe I'll call my mom. I'm doctor in a while. I mean, whatever. I'll listen to a podcast. You know, it, it's, it's about that again, switching your focus and seeing it from a higher, higher perspective too, but also asking yourself, you know, what's the gift and the challenge? What can I learn through this? Because even in the hard places, there's there's still something that we can glean from it, whether there's one good thing or it's just a lesson learned from it. That's been really powerful for me. And I'm not naturally wired that way. I'm like, I'm a realist who like wants to lean like a pessimist. So I've had to work really hard over the years in that area. Um, making time for movement is so crucial mm-hmm. and de-stressing and preventing burnout. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I have to work out an hour every day or even 30 minutes. You know, the studies show that all movement is beneficial to your, to the body. So if you've got 10 minutes, move for 10 minutes, you know, take a walk around the block, that sort of thing. Even better if you can get outside. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. I'm sure you've seen this the last couple of years the trend with rewilding and being out in nature and how doctors, there's literally doctors around the globe that are writing prescriptions for patients to get outside because studies are showing how powerful it is you know, to be out in nature and to get the vitamin D and the sunlight and all of that. So it's a bonus if you can work out and be outside at the same time. So that's, that's something I try to be really intentional with and really encourage clients too that, you know, don't, I see with people sometimes they'll they're tempted to throw it out the window of like, oh, I can't work out for 45 minutes today, so mm. I'll just blow it off. But just move for 10 minutes, 15 yeah. minutes. Do what you can when you can. And that that's again pouring back into your resilience cup. Even if it's just a little bit, it's it's building that those resilience tools back yeah. up to then breathing. I mean, the simplest is really just to breathe and the easiest, but when we're stressed myself included, you know, we shallow breathe. 
and and breathing is the, just the quickest and easiest like walking way to regulate the nervous system and really switch out of that fight or flight system into the rest and digest system yeah i love and i love those i love those tips and i love that whole concept around challenging the perception of the stress the why are we stressed and re-diverting it to something that's more helpful something grounded in mindfulness or or, or anything like that it's just really powerful and, and you can do that on the go a lot of parents for example so we've got two little ones so we're always on the move we're always trying to entertain kids or keep them from being grumpy trying to feed them or whatever and you, you don't have time but yeah. finding time even if it's to go out for a walk you know your partner can take care of the kids while you go for a walk or do some meditation read a book um maybe yeah less less flicking through the phone and, and pick up a book or something just digesting some good information um getting outside in the garden you know spending time we've got a little veggie patch that the kids love to get into and and those things you can do that that's movement it's not necessarily a 45 minute hard sprint down on the beach or something <laughs> like that it's it's that gradual movement that as parents particularly we can find those little little pockets of time over the day to get outside or, or do something that's grounded in mindfulness. So I love that. April, I love that conversation. I could talk, talk about this all day. I love talking about. No, we could probably continue another hour. And so forth, but I'm mindful that it's getting a bit later over there than it is over here. Um, it's only the start of the day here. So I'll, a couple more questions and I'll let you go. Um, I'd love to hear your advice for someone who they're feeling stressed or, or burned out. You know, at what point should they get help and, and where should they turn to help? Yeah, well, again, it depends on the severity of the symptoms, you know, in that. So it could be, you know, having a conversation with just trusted friends or a partner around them, too, and just having an honest, transparent conversation there. It could be talking to their, their medical doctor about it. Be talking to a therapist about it. Cool thing about therapy too, as you know, that you know we've got all these new virtual companies that have popped up during COVID. So, if that's something that feels intimidating, you know, to someone, you know, there's virtual, there's amazing virtual companies. You know, well, this is one can, of them. Yeah. Yeah, you can, <laughs> yeah. You can you can talk to Simon in the in the privacy of your home. <laughs> You know, in that, home. <laughs> yes, in uh, working with a health coach. I mean, any number of things too, or just just even just having that introspection to kind of look for the hidden stressors and then evaluate. Okay, and start to build these resilience tools too. Of okay, what can I do to counter counter that in my life too? Caffeine was one we didn't touch on, but I often talk to clients about that one too. And it's it's like too much of anything can be a bad thing with caffeine, and I see often that that one can throw people off because of course it's a stimulant so mm -hmm. it can you know can overstimulate you and increase anxiety and that sort of thing too but it's it's a huge one with sleep and if your sleep is thrown it throws everything off but a lot of people don't realize if you have a, a cup of coffee at noon experts say that you know a quarter of that is still in your body at midnight so that's really, you know, key yeah. to make sure that you're not over consuming caffeine that can create more of a stress response too, and, and kind of, or gasoline on the, on the flames, if you will, with stress. Yeah. I loved how you talked about just talking to someone that you trust, or it could be a friend or family. It doesn't have to be a medical professional. It could be just someone who's got a good head on their shoulders um, that you can just have an open dialogue with. Um, but at the same time, 
not everybody's got that as well. So yeah, your, your doctor or, or a, a health coach, someone like yourself, you know, who, who's trained in this area and experienced it as well. Um, there's a wealth of different people across the globe doing this kind of work. So um, just people- know that you're not alone, you know, it's, you know, and the more we talk about this, I mean, people are struggling with so many different things right now and you're not alone in the challenges. Mm, perfectly said. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Like, so this is a chance for you to plug your business and the work that you do in, in yeah. your coaching. So how can people um, find you and get in touch if they want it to work with you? Yeah, they can connect with me on my website at aprillikens.com. I'm on Instagram. The handle's different. It's Globy Lovely on there, all over LinkedIn. Depends on the platform of where where you um, want to hit me up. But it's always great to hear from you. So if anything resonated, feel free to reach out. I have a new free resource, too, on the website that I put out recently called 15 Ways to Say Goodbye to Chronic Stress. So if you didn't take notes... I've got you covered. And um, I also offer free discovery call too. So if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and not sure where to start, um, set up a call with me. I'd love to talk more about that and see if we can kind of uncover any hidden stressors and what might be some good next steps for you. Awesome. And I'll, I'll put the links to all your, your socials and your website in the show notes so people can access them if they want them. Um, but the very last question is, is to plug something. I always love this, this question because it doesn't have to be something to do with burnout or stress. It could be just something that makes you feel good. And, and hopefully one of the listeners might tune in and go, oh, I might try that or listen to that or, or watch that yeah. TV show or anything, anything you want. Um, I have been into like heart rate variability and, and biohacking lately. And that it can be a wonderful tool for de-stressing. I love the company called um, the HeartMath Institute. They have a really awesome device that you clip onto your ear that, that helps to track your breathing and your heart rate. And the, the key with heart rate variability is just like it sounds, you want to have a variation between your heartbeats, you know, and you want it to, to be... Um, to have these big, big loops when you're able to see it in that. And so it's interesting. There's, um, there's times where I still wrestle with my sleep and my husband is the type that he loves. If it doesn't blow up or some sort of action thing, like he doesn't want to watch it. And then the evenings often we're watching stuff. And I'm not going to lie. I like that stuff too, but I'm also highly sensitive and I'm an empath. So I absorb everything. And so um, I set off an experiment recently just to see, because my heart rate variability is, is, is usually pretty good. And the cool thing about that is you, it's kind of like a, your weight set point. You know, the more you work on it, the more you can reset it and your stress response gets better and better and better. It's, um, it's kind of like deep breathing or meditation on steroids. So it's fast. You can be in code red and then you just do that for a couple minutes and it resets your entire nervous system. But I was curious, you know, it's like, okay, why am I not sleeping well on these nights when there's like more action shows going on or whatever? And, and I, I brought it out and I started doing it while we were watching the show. And it was really interesting to me that my heart rate is like 100% in the green, you know, when things are normal. But then the second something really dramatic starts to happen, it tanks, it goes right into like the red and I'm not even consciously aware that you know my heart rate is changing and my breathing's changing but it is and it's enough that it will throw off my sleep not that I have trouble falling asleep but it raises my cortisol level and I wake back up at like one two three o'clock in the morning sort of thing too so um, it's just an awesome device it can help you sleep better and it's it's wonderful for sleep and stress and 
PTSD and all kinds of cool things. They have lots of studies on it. It's, it's um, through the HeartMath Institute. Cool. We, I'll grab the link from for, from you for that as well. If, if you don't yeah. mind, then we can put it in. That sounds really interesting. So, um, April, thanks so much for, for your time this evening for you and this morning for me. I really do appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your, your insights into burnout and what you do and, and your knowledge and so forth. So say, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having having me on the show. And you're right, it was it's such a powerful conversation. We could have chatted another another hour, but it's getting late here and you've got a whole day ahead of you. So, so we'll have to uh, connect again, maybe dive deep into sleep or something else exciting. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.